Welcome to Insights on Demand, a podcast from Business Talent Group, where we talk to the world's best independent talent about the future of work and other pressing business issues. I'm Leah Hoffman, and today's guest is Kathleen McGrogy, a business continuity expert who's worked at Deloitte and Bank of America and specializes in helping leaders mitigate risk and create resilient business models. Kathleen is here to talk to us about what executives should be doing to protect their operations in the face of the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Leah. So many business plans focus on protecting IT and facilities, not people. What's the crisis teaching us about what matters to a business? Traditionally, business continuity um, has had a technology recovery focus. Mm-hmm. And the people aspect of it sort of came along with that. So when you were looking at recovering your data center, you were looking at recovering you know, the people that were in there, but the people were kind of a second thought. Over time, uh, business continuity has evolved into um, a methodology about planning for the effects of an event on the business itself, not just on technology. And the effects could be felt in the people aspect of a company. They could be felt in a facilities aspect meaning the buildings themselves. Um, They could be felt in equipment other than technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the current thinking has been to uh, approach continuity planning um, as a series of uh, high-level recovery actions in order to do what the core business does. And what do we do to keep it in business? And especially at the bigger companies, the economics of shareholders and investors can get in the way of a comprehensive business operations continuity plan. Um, I think what people have discovered now with the coronavirus situation is that a whole scenario that business leaders tended to just take for granted, and that is that the people would be there. Now, there are some major companies that have plans about, that address, well, if the event is so big and our people aren't there, how do we stay in business? Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to bet that most companies never expected to go to this extreme of having no employees, of having no people on site. Right. And it's taken people by surprise. Right, right. So can you tell me a little more about the economic aspect you mentioned earlier of uh, investors and shareholders getting in the way of companies' ability to create a plan? Continuity of operations planning and pandemic planning, all of these things are considered cost centers. And if you have pressure, uh, shareholder or investor pressure, the things that are cost centers usually end up being kind of shunted off to the side. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, sure. we need to do that. It's important, but we're only going to give you this much budget. And right. it's not unusual to have one person or two people in a Fortune 100 company managing the entire continuity program for that company. So given that we would speculate most companies' business continuity plans don't really have enough uh, material to address the current pandemic, what can the process of business continuity teach us now about how they can start to address those things that aren't in their plans? So the first thing in my mind is the discipline of the 
way you put together a continuity plan, it starts with understanding. Um, and I love that the word essential has gotten into the business lexicon now. You know, mm-hmm. essential things are essential businesses are open. But when things that the continuity planning process does is it focuses you on the essential core processes of your business. And what does that mean? It, it ha- it's the focus is what is the absolute minimum in people, process, and technology that we need in order to stay open, in order to serve our customers, in order to have cash flow. It's not even about making a profit at that point. It's how do we just stay open? And that discipline is now, I think, is required. Many of the companies that I've worked with really didn't recognize that they had these kind of bloated organizations where they had people that were all in one place and everybody had to see those people all the time. So some of the ways of doing their business was inefficient. Mm-hmm. And so when they, they went through and looked, what's our essential core, they took it at a much higher level. I mean, that sounds like a strategic question. What's our core business? Yes, it, it is a strategic question. It's a strategic question that is answered at a level of detail that most executives don't have the patience for. Mm-hmm. Right. It, you, seriously. However, without understanding some of that detail, you can't match it to the essential core appropriately to fit into a strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, the strategy is a top-down and a bottom-up awareness of what needs to be done, including who is appropriate to be on a crisis management team. Mm-hmm. Some CEOs and the CEO teams believe that they're the ones that will manage through a crisis, when in fact, they're probably not the best people to do it. Why is that? Right now, CEOs are confused and a lot of them don't know what to do. And I'm making generalities here. But the, the idea that they're, that they're faced with having to make decisions about preserving their people, keeping their business open, um, having something to say in the world that makes sense, um, they're at a loss. And also still having to make decisions about the business. And what's interesting to me from a strategic level is that we're seeing the biggest businesses just fold. And I don't mean fold in terms of going out of business, but just shut the doors. Was it GM this week? Shut their factories down. Yeah, that's right. GM closed all manufacturing operations in uh, North America. Right. So the thing that's, when we talk about an essential core process, I want to, I want to elevate this to a, to another level briefly is that what we're looking at is an impact to what is the United States central core process, which is the financial system. Sure. So the, the core business process for the U.S. is our economic system, and it's the backbone of the way financial transactions are executed, mm-hmm. the way the stock market works, and all of these things are, are interlaced and interconnected with the globe. And that process has just been broken. And the effects of that process are the things, the, the ripples. If you consider that to be like the epicenter of an earthquake and you look at the concentric circles that build out from that, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll be able to 
think in your mind how that, bro that broken process in the United States is breaking down businesses' ability to stay in business or to even understand what they need to do to stay in communication with each other long enough to figure out what is our business when this is over. So how do you plan for a scenario in which your business is under an existential threat like this pandemic? I've done facilitation at the, at the executive level. What happens is you, I'll ask a question about scenario planning and what happens if you have no capital? What happens if you have no shareholders, no investors, and no customers? That's pretty much the perfect storm that every business is in right now, no matter what their size. Right. If a hot dog vendor on the street corner in New York has the same problem as your global Fortune 100, and while the reaction it may, it may look different, and in fact, the hot dog vendor may have an easier recovery than let a Fortune 100 company just because of size, everyone has to deal with this same thing. How do we bring this back up? And in what order do we bring it back up? Then... It's a sequencing question or, or what are some other points? It's a sequencing question. Um, mm -hmm. And we take something, uh, a lesson from our IT disaster recovery plans. Because our financial system in the U.S. and pretty much everybody, every company runs, a, you know, touches that financial um, processing backbone, we're looking at a technology recovery as well as a business plan recovery, business strategy. Mm -hmm. um, because you you can't just say okay the bank's open now um, <laughs> and you know okay our plant's open now let's everybody fire it on up and come back to business. Right. One of the things that IT disaster recovery plans do is they map out exactly step by step one through 150 what has to come back in what order in order not to crash the system again. And that's what I think about when I think about executives who are trying to make decisions about how they're going to reopen their business is that they need people from within the business that they may not have spent a lot of time with to talk about what is the order of operations here that we need to bring back? Is it the people that, um, that can reach out to our customers and revive those relationships? Is it going to be working with our upstream and downstream suppliers that may or may not have already been in touch with us? Mm -hmm. Is it, do we just open the plant and start making cars again? Each area potentially is going to be looking very self-interestedly and keeping its own citizens employed. Mm -hmm. But is that also going to be what, what we don't want to have happen in technology? And that is crash the system a second time because we've, we've just turned things on that, that wasn't the right time to turn them on. Right. Well, of course. I mean, that's, of course, what makes it so challenging. Um, it's a very interconnected system. And that's true globally. And different countries are experiencing different stages of it at different times. So in that case, do you do like wargaming to see how can you plan for so many different unknowns? I'm a visual person, so I usually walk around with a whiteboard marker in my pocket. Sure, sure. And I sketched something on a pad while I was getting ready for our call. And, you know, in the middle, I have this thing called now, whatever, however that's defined. Mm -hmm. And there's a future, but there's also this past. Like in, uh, as, as recently as last month, we were celebrating, you know, ridiculously low unemployment mm -hmm. and 
a great stock market and profits and yet, you know, all of that thing, you know, we were going to have an increased um, numbers across all industries for the rest of the year. And that, that was the message we were getting. So when I sketch this out, I go, okay, so the now part is where we have, you know, you, you know, consider the big thunderbolt right there. Mm-hmm. A CEO right now, depending on how large the company is, could be getting, assembling people who were really good at what was going on in the past and putting them in the same room as people who had a really, um, people who are, are good at looking at what is the future. What do we take from this thunderbolt? What does it change about the way we used to look at the world and create the new world from it? And making those teams and giving those teams the decision-making power to come up with a plan that will create potentially a new way of looking at their business. CEOs need to be open to this. Right. All they know is where they've been. There really isn't a time for a CEO to look toward the future right. because that person is also the spokesperson for their company. So having these teams put together, and we're not talking to huge teams, but it has to be a spread. It can't be the same people from what, how we used to do business. It has to be a combination of people that have a idea about where the future lies. Right. Well, that also gives us something positive to focus on at a time when there's so much negative news, just to say things are changing. It's going to be a lot of disruption, but there will also be opportunities. Definitely. And the people that can look at this as an opportunity to, um, I don't want to say correct errors, but one of the things that I think that really needs to be looked at is embedded in the question, who knew that healthcare was a business problem? Who knew that healthcare (laughs) was an economic issue? Yeah. Okay. You know, it's been so embroiled in politics, but if you don't have any people, if you don't have something to keep them from you know, from disaster themselves. Right. Yeah. It's an economic thing. Right. So I'm, I'm not saying one thing or another about what the government should do, but if companies don't um, deliver on their, what they're now saying is, you know, our people are really important. Okay. That's great. Think historically employees have heard this before and then have been laid off. Right. So the fundamental trust between an employer and employees, and I'm not talking unions here, I'm just talking regular Americans, mm-hmm. the fundamental trust has been broken for a really long time. And so employees are skeptical. Who's to say that in the new economy that some of these people are going to leave? There's going to be a mass bleed off of talent going somewhere else because they don't feel any reason to stay connected. Right. That's a very interesting point. You know, one of the things we've always said is that a lot of top talent would do more independent work were it not for the difficulty of finding benefits like healthcare and retirement, that a stronger social safety net would power a lot of new ways of working. Maybe this crisis is the moment for that. Yes. I I believe that there are things that will be changed forever. And that one of those things is um, how the gig economy works and how commercial real estate works. Because mm-hmm. right now you look at traditional companies and they have like two, three, four floors of a building mm-hmm. and all the employees can be seen at one time. Well, right now they're being forced to actually practice remote working, the thing they never wanted to do. 
the horse is already out of the barn on this one. Right. People now know, and they have been making do, okay? Now, I don't have children, but I have colleagues that have children, and they're making do by doing some pretty high-level, sophisticated business, you know, with a toddler on their lap (laughs) and making it work. So people that have done that, um, the people that, that thought that they always wanted to see their employees now know that they don't have to. Or they know they're wiser about this, and the ones that that didn't want to have the boss breathing over their shoulder are actually showing how how worthy they are of working from home. And when people realize that they can be as productive outside the the office, I think we're going to see an up, uptick in the gig economy and mm-hmm. people professionals going. You know what? I th- I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, and I think I can do this in three different places or three different industries. Right. Right, right, right. And they might not have thought about that before because they were afraid. Right. Afraid of stepping out of their comfort zone. Now they have been kicked out of their comfort zone. And this all goes back to continuity and planning because even at the individual level, you need to have plan B is what I tell Mm -hmm. people because life is pretty much plan B. Right. And if you don't have a plan B, then you're going to live in fear all the time. Plan B is basically the continuity for the individual. What do I do if this happens to me? Mm-hmm. And when I started studying the gig economy, like how many years ago, Leo, did the first explosion of this happen? I mean, it's been around for a long time, but I think we started to hear about the gig economy as a phrase maybe within the last decade or so. Something like that. And people, um, if they weren't afraid, the people that are take, took the early opportunities are the ones that that got the rhythm of how to do it successfully. Right. And the gig economy people that I know that have done different things with business, some of my friends are in technology, some of my friends are in coaching, and they have been on this kind of gig thing for five plus years, and they love it. Mm -hmm. It's a very positive experience for them, and it's a positive experience for the employer because it focuses everybody on what are you delivering, not where are you and how are you dressed. Some people will look at this as a perfect opportunity to do blah, blah, right? Oh, I'm going to retool myself, reinvent myself. Now the next big word is going to be reinvention. Mm -hmm. So if this crisis does prompt talent to uh, reinvent themselves, whether by joining the gig economy or finding a new employer, how do you think big companies can start planning for that now? This is a time for HR to step up. And the continuity um, operations people, like the people that are managing the continuity program itself, to look at the people aspect of continuity plans in a different way. And that would be through the lens of what people could work in what area normally. And then if it's business as not normal, how do we deal with that? So somebody needs to capture right now, what are they doing right now today? So HR people can start that now, you know, start interviewing some of these people that are working from home and ask them, what do you do? How do you do it? Would you rather do it this way? So I think talking to people in the, in the moment now and giving them a chance to, oh, everything from vent to add real information should be available to them. And it needs to be seeing that the corporation is moving towards something that could accommodate people in a different way than they did in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and using the continuity people, the continuity people can help 
here by organizing the thinking to what do we do today? What's happening right now with the Thunderbolt situation? Mm -hmm. And how do we make that into how we look at our people in the future? How do we blend different locations, different work styles mm -hmm. into, our, into our new company? Interesting. Are there other adaptations that you think we're going to be forced to make that'll stick with us in the future? I think, Leah, that we're going to get to a point of being really honest with what really happens with work in the United States. Probably, maybe you've had people tell you this, like, you need to have work-life balance. Sure. Like, right. okay, and it was, I know this because I'm a person that my work and my life are integrated. So it's work-life integration for me has always been how I've looked at it. Right. So now we're moving into this, you know, it, it, it used to be a five-day work week. We still call it a five-day work week, but you know, there's statistics out there that say Americans work all the time. Right. Of course. So we're going to come into, I think this is going to change a new honesty about work and integrating our personal and our professional lives in a way that makes sense for us as individuals in service to our, our, our companies and our country actually as a result sure. is we're going to be more open to that. And I would hope that executives would be listening for those messages that, yeah, you know, it is okay to love what you do and integrate it into your life. It is perfectly fine. And I think that that's going to be a change people right now, like I said, with the toddler on your lap, right? So, you might get up at 10 o'clock in the morning and work until 10 p.m. at night with breaks or whatever, and nobody really cares. You're integrating your work into your life and vice versa, and you're making that space when you need it. And I believe that executives, HR professionals, and business continuity people are key to finding out how to structure something that works for everybody if we have a situation like this again, we'll be ready for it. We will just move into that. Okay, you can work from home or not work from home and that's fine mm -hmm. because they've already figured out how, how to make it work. Are there things companies should avoid doing now while they're in panic mode and just reacting to the crisis? I think that they should really avoid giving up too much good news. I know that there's bad news out there, but to say that we're going to come back and we're going to be like we were, I would strongly advise against that because nobody really believes we're going to be back the way we were. So I think being super honest at this point is going to be good for companies throughout and encouraging it. Um, I think that small teams, small strategic teams of people that, um, that need something to do, maybe some of these people that aren't used to working remotely, could be made into some task forces to look at the past and what the future could look like. Finding those people and making those teams. You know, companies really should avoid promising something that they don't even know that they can deliver. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Kathleen. Oh, thank you, Leah, for the invitation. My guest is Kathleen McGrorty, an independent business continuity expert, and I'm Leah Hoffman for Business Talent Group's Insights on Demand podcast. In upcoming episodes, we'll be talking with other independent experts about the unique challenges companies face in these unprecedented times, from culture to supply chain. Subscribe for these insights and more wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.